I'm doing just a, like a two-part series in summer. I'm so glad you're at church. I'm doing a two-part series uh, right now called People I Like, and today's sermon is called Rooftop Party. Um, I want your next year to be your best year. And there's one predictor of whether it will be or not, and it has nothing to do with me and has everything to do with you. And that is this. I think your next year will be your best year, like the best year of your life. I don't mean the bad things aren't going to happen. I don't mean your teenage girl is not going to back into the tree with your car. What I do mean, though, is that in spite of everything bad that could happen, I still think it could be your best year ever. And it will be your best year ever if, you ready? If it is your best year spiritually. If it's not your best year spiritually, it's not going to be your best year. You can have the best car and it won't matter. So give it to me. It won't matter if it's not your best year spiritually. Now, a spiritual connection with God, you're here to do two things. Connect with God and connect with people. But you can't do one without the other. And you can't connect with God and people until you connect somebody else with God and people. So as we're talking about our relationship with God this morning, we're really going to be talking about our relationship with our friends as well and how that all kind of ties together. Now, how many people know that when you get in an argument with God, it's different than getting in an argument with any human because you're always the one who's wrong. So just pretend it's your wife. All the guys, like, they didn't get that, right? Their wives think it's hilarious. You'll get it late, later on when you're eating pancakes, guys. This whole idea that when you're in relationship with God, so imagine, but see, the trouble with you and your relationship with God, the trouble with me and my relationship with God is that we're not like roughly on the same level of like we both get it, right? So for me to have a better relationship with God next year, I'm going to have to grow. See, God doesn't have to grow. Most of your prayers are about telling God, informing God of your Christmas wish list. God's like, I already know that you want more money. I already know that you're tired of your fridge and you want the one that makes ice. If you want your next year to be your best year, it has to be your best year spiritually, and that means you have to grow. You have to grow into some things. You have to grow out of some things. Because if you grow, then your connection with God will grow. Does that make sense? God is not in heaven like, I don't want to connect with these people. He's like, no, but I've done all that I'm going to do to connect, and I can't do more. Uh, I can't do what only you could do. So I'm, I'm going to show you uh, how that works. See, the greatest predictor of your spiritual growth and the greatest predictor of whether this year will be your best year is whether or not, you ready? Statistically, whether or not you go to church and are connected in the body of Christ with four to five close friends. The greatest predictor of spiritual growth, ready? It's not how smart you think you are. The greatest predictor of spiritual growth is whether you have four to five close friends that you do life with in church. You serve with, you small group with, you go to church with. Now, here's the other trouble. I want you to think about when you get bad news or you get good news. I'm not talking about Facebook friends, everybody. Facebook friends aren't real. You have 2,000 Facebook friends and nobody call you to see how you're doing. I mean when you get bad news. When you get that diagnosis, you get bad news. Who are the five closest people? to you, when you get good news, when you could actually win something, and not because you just wrote a big check to their soccer team, who are the five people that you text, 
You are the average of your five closest friends. Some of us have friends in that five group that we just keep them there so they make us look better. We're just like, well, I didn't have as much to drink as they did. And your wife's like, you're both losers. You need better friends. All right, thanks, Sean. Um, Now, it's good to have people that you're trying to help. If you're a church person, you're a Christian, you love Jesus, it's good to have people who aren't here yet. Like, that's great. But when, when people who aren't going into the trajectory that you need to go are in your closest counsel. So think about this. You're having problems with your teenager. Who's in that inner circle that get to, like, coach you? Because you can always find somebody who agrees with you. But I, I'm asking, like, so because you might be evangelizing somebody, but the enemy might be evangelizing you, too. With your closest friends, people who are in on your very closest counsels. Now, the trouble is, you tell your teenager this all the time, but you think you're smarter than they are. You say, hey, you learn to be like whoever you're around. So if your teenager, you know this, if your teenager is hanging out with idiots, pretty soon your teenager is going to start acting like an idiot and enjoy the company of idiots. Well, it's the same thing. We're just human. We're just like, we just kind of become like the people around us. And so you got to understand that you will actually become like your friends, whoever your five closest friends are. Now, uh, Paul says to the Corinthians, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, I remember when I was a preteen, maybe in grade five or something, um, boys' brains don't develop. So we need a lot of us together to make more than a couple of brain cells. And when you're like 10 or 11, all you need is a best friend and no brains at all. And I remember Jeremy was my best friend. And, um, and I remember riding in town right down the middle of the road for some reason. And we're riding our bikes and we have water balloons. And Jeremy rides past a lady with her window open and just on the way by just boom. I've had, you know, there was the day I got baptized, incredible day. The day I got married, incredible. The birth of my four daughters, incredible. But there was that day. I mean, it came together. And it was the perfect blend of like, can you believe what just happened as you're riding your bike away so she doesn't catch you and murder you? And it's like, you know it's good when you're a preteen boy when it's like it's a secret that you both bury so deep that dad... My dad just found out about it now, you know? He's like, nobody tell, nobody dad, right? Your friends, you know? It's funny, though, because we got into a little bit of trouble. But then Jeremy in high school, I noticed that he got into kind of a bad peer group of people. And I actually made kind of a switch of friends then, grade 10 or 11, I think. And I got in with just a good group of, like, church boys that were just good and kind of godly. And we got up to some stuff, but it was mostly physical danger and trying to wreck ourselves with (laughs) quads and farm stuff, you know, just boy stuff. But it's funny though, that we wouldn't let each other go to like parties where stuff was gonna happen. And we'd be like, yeah, you're not going there. No, we're going, no, we show up at church, no. I just realized, you know what? That French, that, that, that shift changed the trajectory of my life. And then I look at Jeremy's life and it changed his too. And I realized it's not because he wasn't smart. 
It's because he started hanging out with people that weren't going in the direction that God wanted him to go. You want it to be your best year? Well, look at your five closest friends, and that'll tell you. Um, I, I sent the, the, the write-up of this to staff sometimes, so I, I wrote up people I like and just a description of your, your, the average of your five closest friends. That is the greatest predictor of your spiritual growth, which will be the greatest predictor of whether next year is amazing for you or not. And Crystal sent this back. She sent, um, do you guys know who Crystal is? Is she serving me? She goes, um, she goes, I love that. I was just thinking last night about how overwhelmingly thankful I am for my friends. I get to be around people who are better than me all the time. So thankful. And I wrote back, I'm thankful I'm better than you two. <laughs> Why would you tee me up like that? Like, you put a golf ball on a tee and give me a tennis racket. Man, that's a 400-yard drive. Boom, every time. Also, if you haven't noticed, in this house here, sarcasm is kind of our love language. So if you're like, I'm going to take my family and go to a not-sarcastic church, we'll, we'll be like, okay, it's, uh, it's not us, it's you. So, um, As we're hanging out, you know, if, if you're here on a Saturday night and watch the worship team practice, we hang out with each other and we're comfortable enough with each other that we get to like speak truth with each other and get along and goof around and it's a level of community that the world is promising but can't give you in the right context because right now what it's trying to do is get you surrounded by people that agree with you already and not people that have the guts to disagree with you. My, my, some of my two favorite friends in church world are people who disagreed with how we were doing something and they just had the guts to tell me like, well, why are you doing it like that? Well, are you sure that that's working? I respect them more than I respect everybody else who agreed with me. Now, um, this is sort of funny. It's funny. Hi, Pearl. Pearl was in my dad's church in the very first week of my dad's church 4,000 years ago before, before there was TV and electricity. And, and uh, it's good to see you here. I'm actually preaching about somebody else. We had an elder in that church um, that when dad, this is sort of funny that you're here, that when dad announced that he was going to hand uh, his church over to Pastor Aaron and I, because uh, we took that church over for a couple of years, then we, uh, we ended up closing it, taking a team of people here who are still people that we do life with. And, um, and we were sitting at an elders meeting. And now, if you're not from church, you don't understand church politics. Church politics is like hockey politics, but everybody in church says that God told them to be an idiot. Right? So it's like, hockey people don't do that. They're just like, we're just idiots. No, in church, it's like, and God told me to act like this. Um, and so, um, and you can, you can be church people. And, and there was this, uh, this elder in there that, that over time, he was a very spiritual person. Like, he prayed more. He read his Bible more than anybody else in the church probably did. And, and very spiritual. But he started getting off center. And during that meeting, when my dad said, you know, God has told us that that uh, Pastor Corey and Aaron are supposed to take the church over, things got super quiet and intense. And then they kind of spoke up. He and his wife said, because um, I was my dad's worship pastor at the time, he said, he said, well, he's a great worship leader, but he's too sarcastic to be a pastor. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, all the... I mean, the funny thing was, he was the most sarcastic guy in the church. 
how does that even work? And I looked over and I saw my mom and I've never seen her that close to climbing over a table and murdering somebody who wasn't me. <laughs> and I got thinking to myself, his name is Jerry, I thought, got thinking, how did he get so off base with his spirituality and his connectivity with God? How did he get so far off base? Because there's other stories that I can tell you as well. And I realized he didn't have any friends in the church. He lived beside my parents, and the blinds were always pulled to his house. I realized he thought, are you ready? It's going to hurt your feelings, church people. He thought his family was his peer group. People around him were growing because they had friends that went to church. He didn't have friends that went to church. He went with his family. Listen, your kids are not your peer group. Your parents are not your peer group. Your spouse, not necessarily, I'm telling you, you want to spiritually grow? See, they, we came from this era, and I don't know if you know this about church people, there's this theology floating around at the time. Theology just means like what we believe about God. And so what we were, we were hearing was that in homes, people were saying, well, the, the man of the home, it's not just that he's the husband and the father, he is also the priest of his home. He is also really what they're saying is the pastor of his home. Well, first of all, it's bad theology because it's not in the Bible. Uh, it says in the, in the script, does that make sense? If it's not in the Bible, it's not theology, everybody. It's just something that somebody made up that sounded good. What are we, we're kings and priests unto God, it says, but it doesn't say that you're the priest of your kids. So what he, what he did was he thought he was the pastor of his home, which means I guess if, if you're the pastor of your home, then are you your own pastor? And then, and then when your kids learn something in Venue Kids, do you gotta, they got to come home and run it by you? Or pastor preaches something you don't like, and you're like, actually, that's not for us. I realized, oh, oh, okay. Listen, nobody's their own pastor. I'm not my own pastor, everybody. But it's just a weird little thing in there. We're like, oh, we're just going to like, we're going to grow as a family. I'm like, that's, but that's not statistically how you spiritually grow. So we could take you and put you in the venue kids right there, and you would understand all the material that they're going to go through. You would understand it. But you wouldn't grow because you're not going with friends there. They're not your friends. They're not your peer group. And we can take the kids from there and put them in here. They're not going to grow. It's not because your kids are stupid. It's because this is not designed to make them grow with their peers. That is actually how you grow is with your spiritual peers. We are growing together. We are growing. We're going to small group together to process this, to get down in the weeds and figure out where it's not. You know why our kids love Jesus? Can I just be honest? I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm the, I am actually, it's weird. I'm kind of my family's pastor, but, but here's the thing. You know why my kids love Jesus? Not because pastor Aaron and I are great parents. You know why? Because we have great, we are great parents. Particularly. <laughs> That's not why I'll tell you, I'll tell you. It's because we have great venue kids and we have great youth. That's why. We have great youth workers and great kids workers. And they grew up. You actually decide if you have kids, their spiritual trajectory by the friends that you. So take your little kid. You know, my little is Neela. 
It would be like Neela when she's a baby. I'm just going to be like, hey, I can't wait to visit you in prison. Because <laughs> I'm not going to let you go to kids, and I'm not going to... And then you're going to be in youth, and you're going to get a tattoo, and if you get a tattoo, then you're going to deal drugs, and then you're going to spend life in prison. And I can't wait to bake you cakes in prison and hide little files and saws in there. And we can see each other when you break out. You know why they love Jesus? Because their friends love Jesus. Because it's predictable. That's how they spiritually grow, is with their peer group. We don't think that our family is their peer group. I just need to say one more thing about this. A couple of decades ago, spiritual leaders and parents factored in at the highest of who, who informed their kids, like value systems and stuff like that. Guys, I don't even think we're on the list anymore. We're like down at like eight or nine, I think it is. I can't remember the stat. You know who's at the top? Friends. That's why they come home and they're in grade 10 and they think they know about sexuality because they're friends who are idiots, but they believe they're friends. Well, you need a friend upgrade then if you want their trajectory to change. What does a grade 10 kid know about? Come on. Right, but that's who's informing them. You want to fight against that or you just want to get good friends? I'm like, I don't care. Hey, a win's a win, everybody. And I don't care if it was me or if it was somebody, if it was one of you. Um, oh, also, I'm supposed to tell the, my kids told me to tell you. Or they're thinking it. There's Capture the Flag for Youth this week, by the way. Where is that? Is that at Pekka's? Okay, anyways, scan the QR code or do whatever you do uh, to get your youth out to that. What? What's the matter? Is it Thursday? Why are you judging me? I nailed it. Thank you, Layden. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. Real friends hurt your feelings before you hurt yourself. Everything right now is just trying to get you next to somebody who agrees with you. Some of y'all, you're hurt, and the enemy just wants to put you with people who are hurt the same as you. But real friends hurt your feelings before you hurt yourself. Now, nobody likes being tackled off of the road when a car is coming, but it sure feels better than the car hitting you. But now I think everybody's getting hit by the same car, and they're like, hey, this is just normal, everybody. <laughs> it's just where we hang out. You don't have to hang out on the road if you don't want to. Real friends hurt your feelings before you hurt yourself or before you mix up the, the brake and the clutch and back, back a truck and a boat over the guy whose truck and boat it is. This was Eric this week. He goes to Layden. He goes, get in that truck. He's backing his boat down with his truck. He's like, get in the truck. Put your foot on the brake. And Layden clutches it and then starts rolling back and Eric's like, the brake! Good friends, everybody. Luke chapter 5. One day, I said that was going to preach. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And he says, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. It's funny, though, that the healing power of Jesus is here in the room, but some of you won't walk away with it. Well, it's not because Jesus is being mean and like, oh, I'm just like randomly picking people. Sometimes you have to have the faith to reach out and to do what only you can do. Because God doesn't work through need. 
You have to understand this. Stop being angry at God because he doesn't fix all the brokenness of the world. He gave the world to people. People turned around and gave it to the devil. The only way it can be redeemed is through people. But it doesn't work through need. It works through faith. Faith. Faith is the currency of heaven, not need. Not need. He would have to make you a robot to fix all of your needs before you even ask. You know what I'm saying? So it creates an entitlement. No, no. It, it's, it's faith. It's faith. I hope your friends have some faith. So Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. So they have this like bunk bed that this paralyzed man, you got to put yourself in the story here. They're like, we need to get him to Jesus, but he can't move. So either you got to like potato sack him, which is heavy, right? You know what I'm, you guys know what a potato sack is? Anybody under 30 is like, what's a potato? That's how I adapt to getting older. Let's make fun of younger people because they don't know what potatoes are. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so they got this, like, they got one bunk of a bunk bed and they're, they're carrying, four guys are carrying this around. Um, so they tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't get there because all the church people were sitting in the chairs already. So... So, but they didn't want to take no for an answer. So it says they went up to the roof and took off the tiles. So um, you're a roofing guy, right, John? Actually, did you see John's um, testimony video of his story on Yes TV? That was shot on the roof of his church. That was shot up here because he's a roofing guy. Now, this is like John having a paralyzed friend, and he's like, you got to understand what kind of people these are. And I don't know if you have friends that are like this or not, like a little crazy and a lot aggressive. I'm like, did they go there expecting to, to chainsaw the roof? Like, I mean, how do you go and just randomly like, oh, we're going up on the roof. We'll get the roof apart. With what? So this is when you have like a guy like John who's like, oh, we'll, get, we'll, get a, we'll make a hole in that roof. And so they literally go up there. What do they do with their fingernails? You got any friends that'll go down in the mud? You got friends that are fancy. I don't like fancy friends. Fancy friends have their feelings hurt too much. You're always like stepping around on eggshells like, oh, are you okay? Are you emotionally okay? Like, oh my goodness. I want some friends who are like, I'm emotionally good. Stop asking me. I got it. <laughs> that was my little shot at like people telling me their problems. Okay, no, it's good. I'm here. I'm here to pass to you. I love you. It says, then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. So they, they got this hole big enough to take his bunk bed right through the, through the roof. Now, I've been thinking about this. What keeps people paralyzed now? You know what I think people, pe keeps people paralyzed and in their condition? People telling them that there's nothing wrong with your condition. It's like, hey, we want you to feel good. So you're already paralyzed. You're already in a bad condition. We want you to not feel any worse. So we're just going to be like, hey, it's okay. It's okay that you're broken. Something happened to you. So you're just going to be broken forever. And it's okay. You don't have to do anything. Just be broken. All the enemy is doing right now in society, like, all he's doing is taking all the paralyzed people, small groups of paralyzed people, and instead of, instead of allowing their friends and Jesus to point them at their condition, which Jesus can heal, he points them at all the healthy people walking around and saying, this is why you're not happy. And this is why you're paralyzed is because... 
Just small groups of people and just like, you're super unhappy, you're super unhappy. You know what would be better is to be like, hey, I wonder if we could get fixed. I wonder if we could get healed from this condition. I wonder if, hey, just because somebody hurt me doesn't mean that I get to like go around and like be that hurt person all day. I think Jesus could probably heal me. I think he could probably fix my... So, here's the other thing. If you're happy, nobody has to tell you that you're happy. Like, if I'm happy, I don't know. Sarah can be like, well, you're not doing your life right. And I'll be like, I don't care what you think. I'm happy. I'm connected with God. I'm connected with people. And it's my best year ever. Oh, yeah, it's been tough, but it's been my best year ever. I don't care what you think about me. You don't have to tell me that I'm happy. All right. That's for free. Okay. Seeing their faith, watch. Jesus said to the man, seeing whose faith? Not his faith. Seeing their faith. Had he accepted his condition? Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. You're like, no, no, no. But my problem isn't sin. My problem is that I need hip surgery. Right? It's my body. The problem is that, no, I've been abused. The problem is that I'm broke. It's not sin. It's not a sin problem. Jesus is tying all these things together. He's saying your body, soul, and spirit is all connected. Sometimes your physical condition is indicative of a condition in your soul, in your body, and in your mind, and in your will, and in your emotions. I need to say this to somebody. What's emotional sin look like? Well, I'm just, I'm just feeling, I'm just, these are my feelings. Yeah, what if your feelings are sinful? What if your feelings lead you to sinful actions to hurt people? Can your emotions be sinful? Of course they can. Can my heart be sinful? Of course it can. The Bible says the human heart is deceitful above all things. It tricks you into sin. Oh, it could be a condition of sin. It could be a condition where you're unaligned with God and you still want all the blessings of God. Then you're mad at God because he won't give it to you. And he's like, align your heart. So, so the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, oh, who does he think he is? Jesus. That's not good to say about Jesus, by the way. Um, that's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is like, yes. Um, Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up. Pick up your mat and go home. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. And one guy's like, who's fixing my roof? Because <laughs> my roof is still. Hey, who cares how much it costs if somebody gets healed? Who cares how, how, if your roof doesn't leak, if nobody got healed? Who cares how clean you keep your home if you don't put a small group in it that helps people? Who cares how collected you have your life together if you're not helping anybody with it? Now, it says in there that Jesus saw their faith. Do you have friends who have more faith than you have? I was thinking about this. These guys carrying this bunk bed. We don't see that the man is like, hey, can you carry my bed to Jesus? We don't see him asking that. I don't know that he was asking that. 
We see a paralyzed man. I think his friends are like, you know what? He's just okay with his condition. And we're not okay with his condition. What kind of friend are you? Somebody who's like, oh, you poor thing. Or somebody who's like, actually, your past doesn't have to define your future. Actually, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Actually, you can get better. Actually, you can help somebody who was hurt. Actually, you don't have to have a victim mindset and make more victims. You don't have to keep the circle of, not a circle of life in there, man. And these guys, you know what I think? This is what I think. Back then, their group of friends would have been really small. You don't get adult friends when you're paralyzed. You don't like meet a lot of people. I think he grew up with these guys. And I think after all this time of watching their friend crippled, who's carrying you around? Because these guys have been carrying this guy around forever. You know what? I think something inside of them is like, enough. I want him healthy enough to get a job, make his own dang sandwich, pay for his own movie ticket without me carrying his bunk bed, pay for his own popcorn. I am tired of helping him go to the bathroom. I'm tired of it. I want him to do it. See, we say around here that health is for helping. We just need you healthy enough to help somebody. You don't have to be fixed perfectly. You can walk with a limp. You can still help somebody. In fact, I don't even know that you get healed until you start helping somebody. But I, I want to say this, there has to be something in the group of people that you hang out with, that you do life with, that you serve on the same teams with, that you go to small group with, that you give with, that you, your kids hang out with, that you, when their kids are at your house, you're like, you can't watch that here. I know your parents, I got to see them in small group. You can't do that here. You can't listen to that music here. Where we get to this place where we're doing life on such a deep level that every year becomes better than the year before because every year we grew spiritually more because our friends did too. Now, can I, can I, thank you. Can I, can I end with, um, so there's a, um, there's a guy in the church started coming a few months ago and uh, he got one of those phone calls while he was at work that's like the game changer. And they're like, you need to get uh, surgery today. So I think it was not last Monday, maybe two Mondays ago, three Mondays ago, something like that. He got the call on Monday and went to the hospital. Uh, it took a couple of days to get the surgery. And I saw him after that. Now, thank God everything went well. He's good. His family's good. His family's sitting right over there. I wonder, though. I wonder how well they'd be doing. Watch, watch this. He was actually on parking lot duty last week. And I'm like, you just had surgery. You can't be. And he's like, but he says, but pastor, he goes, if somebody's cousin has come to church, right? For the first time. Is somebody's brother the first time, right? Like, no, I, I can serve in the parking lot. I'm like, man, you're like all broken. You just need to get better. He's like, no, I'm good. I'm good enough. What if it's your cousin? Like, well, if it's my cousin, I want you in the parking lot. He's like, oh. I'm like, 
You know why? Here, here, I got I got I got because it didn't start there. It doesn't start when you get the phone call. It doesn't start when life goes off the rails. It started right in the back corner there one day when I think he was here with his family. I can't, I'm a little foggy in the details, but I'm like, oh, you need to meet Pastor Aaron. So I took Chad Ferguson, who I'm always making fun of because he's a good sport. I said, Chad, can you go get Pastor Aaron? And I wasn't done talking yet. And Chad just like ghost. Chad was over here by the time I finished my sentence. Watch, watch. Chad was over here. And, and this guy told me later, he's like, that was one of the biggest deciders for me was when I can watch a guy who used to run crews of like 40 or 50 people jump like that because we don't care whose fingernails get dirty. We don't care who cuts through the roof around here if somebody needs healing. So I'm like, hey, go get Pastor Aaron. But then I'm like, no, but take them with you. And he was already gone. So he came back with Pastor Aaron. The reason he was so fast, he thought I said there was donuts in the lobby. There weren't. <laughs> He's not even here today. That was one of his deciding factors. And then this family got involved in a small group. Guess who got the text when he got the phone call? Chad, his small group leader, and me. He just needs two more friends. So. Who do you do life with? Who tear through a roof for you? Who tear through a roof whether you wanted them to or not? You, you, listen, good friends like that aren't sitting in their yard with nothing to do hoping you come over. You got to be a great friend to get great friends. You got to be there. You got to call somebody up. You got to take the first move. You got to pick up the phone. You got to barbecue some ribs. You got to pay to get great friends. You got to give your life, your time, and your resources. You got to. But when you get great friends and you get that phone call, when you get great friends and, and God brings something through to you that's a great freedom and a great gift and you're doing life with people, then you'll get it then you'll get it. Father, we, we commit today, Lord God, to looking around this room and realizing, oh, I need to upgrade some of my friends. And Father, there's people in this room that could be people 20 years from now, 30 years from now that we're doing life with, that our kids are growing up with their kids. Lord. And I just pray that the Lord would show us who he has chosen to be great friends to us. And give us the courage, Lord God, to upgrade some, some people we need to maybe upgrade in our lives. In Jesus' name.